Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. He is risen. It is finished. He is risen and it is finished. I love to read those narratives in the Gospel that talk about the disciples waking up to an empty tomb. The longest three days of their lives. Everything that they had hoped for and anticipated in and through the person of Jesus of Nazareth all came crashing down that Thursday night as they left the upper room to go to the garden, unsure of what was going to happen next. And Jesus prays in the garden, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but Thy will be done. And the soldiers come. And the expectation of a conflict was high. Peter pulls out a sword and whacks a guy's ear off. Jesus says, put it away. Heals the guy's ear. And allows himself to be arrested. They're stunned. They watch a kangaroo court convict him. They watch him hung on a cross and die. And they hide behind locked doors, fearful that the soldiers would come for them next. And early that Sunday morning, the women, where would we be without the women? The women go to the tomb and they find it empty. And Mary Magdalene kind of stays behind and and, and Jesus appears to her. And thinking He's the gardener, which ironically... If you remember John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, my Father is the gardener. Thinking He to be the gardener, she says, tell me where you've taken Him. I'll, I'll, I'll go get Him, please. And there's something in the way He says her name. She realizes that it's Jesus. And she, she's told to go and tell the disciples that He's risen, that He's alive. And she runs and she tells them. And they can't believe it. And they wouldn't believe it until they could see Him with their own eyes. It would not be the first time that the disciples were surprised by the actions of Jesus. And if the resurrection tells us anything, 
It should tell us that we need to go back and re-examine the life of Jesus. Who is He? How does He encourage us to live our lives? Because now we know for certain that He is who He claims to be. And we now know for certain that death, though a great mystery, is not a destination, but in fact a doorway. As we go back and look at the life of Jesus this morning, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to John. Chapters 3 and chapters 4 of the Gospel of John are worth a closer read. Because we see in these two chapters a juxtaposition of the best that you could hope to achieve in society and the very bottom of the barrel. In chapter 3, we're introduced to a guy named Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee. He is a, 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 a part of the ruling council of Jerusalem. He had everything possible that that society could afford a human being. He was at the top of his game. There was nowhere else that you could go. No higher heights. And yet we read in that third chapter that Nicodemus goes by night to encounter Jesus who knows exactly what's in his heart. Because he knows what's in every one of our hearts. And yeah, that's, a, that's an unsettling thought that God knows us that well. Because we learn at a very early age that we have an inner life that we can hide from our moms and dads. And we learn how to cultivate that inner life. And we think we are very, very smart. But even that inner life cannot be hidden from God. So Nicodemus, he comes and says, we know that you are from God. Nobody can do the things that you do if God were not with him. And Jesus changes the conversation and says, you want to see the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to see it unless you're born again. Unless you come to that place where you recognize that you have a need you cannot meet. And I'm here to meet it. Fast forward to the third, to the fourth chapter. We encounter somebody at the other end of the spectrum. We have a woman at the well in Samaria. And the Samaritans were like, not the arch enemies, but they were so despised by the Israelites that they would walk around Samaria lest they soil themselves with the dust let alone have a conversation with them. And they have a converse, 
They go through Samaria because Jesus, we're told, he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? So that we might learn something. For the same reason that he had to go to the cross. He had to go to the cross because there was something that we could not do for ourselves. And that is deal with the problem of that inner life and the hiding that goes on. So, opposed to Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night, Jesus goes to Samaria, the opposite end of the spectrum, and in the broad daylight, reaches out to this woman who comes to the well. He knows what's in her heart as well. And he offers her a draft of living water. And they have this this exchange. She is a woman who is an outcast among outcasts. Married five times. Currently living with someone who is not her husband. She was not very popular in her village. So you can imagine her surprise at coming to the well and finding a Jewish man sitting by the well. And her heart just sinking. And then he speaks with her. Offers her living water. She would love to have living water. She finally asks him for it. And and he says, go get your husband. Here it comes. I have no husband. Yep, you're right, you haven't. You've had five and the guy you're with now is not. And she changes the conversation. And Jesus lets her. He lets her change the conversation because He knows the pain that she experiences day in and day out of being a societal outcast. And He gives her that dignity. They change the conversation about worship and where we worship. Here, there, the true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. It is not location sensitive. And that's where we pick up the narrative in this fourth chapter. The woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. Just then, in verse 27 we read, just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find Jesus talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman ran back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know not, nothing about. And then the disciples, they said to each other, Could... Could someone have brought him some food? My food, 
said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. And you have reaped the benefits of their labor. He had to go through Samaria. So they get there, it's noon, and the disciples, they go into town to buy food. And Jesus is there, He's all alone. And He has this amazing encounter with this woman. In the light of day, knowing what's in her heart, knowing that she needs to know that she is a person of worth, that she has dignity, that she has been created in the image of God. And that being the case, there is always hope. Always hope. She's so excited that when the disciples come and they return, they're stunned. They can't figure out what's going on. They're surprised. They can't believe that Jesus is talking to this woman. And they've got questions. But they don't ask them. Which tells us that they are beginning to learn something. Just because you think something doesn't mean you have to say it. It took me a while to learn that. She leaves them. Heading back into town. And said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out. Now, here's where my imagination takes me in this. In this little, this little town, this little village, the disciples, they go in to buy food, and Jesus stays outside of town uh, by the well. And back then, you would be able to tell a person, person's ethnicity based on how they were dressed. And so... You can imagine, in the heat of the day, the, the local villagers sitting around uh, underneath the, the tamarisk trees, uh, trying to keep cool, and this, and this, this band of, of Jews comes waltzing into town to buy food. Now, that's not something that you see every day. They probably exchange words only with the vendor from whom they procured the food. And then they leave. And I can imagine the, the locals having a conversation. What do you think that's all about? What, what, not, not only are they here, but they're buying food. This, 
this doesn't make any sense at all. And that's a conversation that I think they're having when all of a sudden, a woman whom none of them would ever talk to comes storming into town saying, you guys got to come and see this guy. Now, okay, one odd thing you can kind of deal with. A a, a group of, of, of Jewish men coming into town. All right, that's good for a conversation. But then to have them leave and then to have this woman who they know, come in and say, hey, you guys, you guys got to come. Come and see. This guy told me everything that I knew about myself. Which again is a scary proposition. If I invited you to come and see someone who knew everything about you, would you want to go? And, and yet... Not only does she go and make a proclamation, but that proclamation was heard. An unlikely messenger with a message given to people who would not have given her the time of day at the beginning of that day. And they receive it. And they go to encounter Jesus. And what was the invitation? The invitation was not, hey, you guys, you're a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. You need to get your life together and I just met the guy who can help you do it. Oh my gosh, how many times have we heard that message proclaimed down through history. Ouch. The simple invitation is one that we encounter actually at the beginning of the Gospel of John. When, 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 when John the baptizer sees Jesus arrive on the scene, he says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, where are you living? And he says, come and see. Come and see. And then later on, when when Andrew tells his brother, we have found the Messiah, come and see. Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see. The woman at the well. To the villagers, come and see. And they do. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the disciples, they they went into town, they got this food, Jesus, eat. Here, have something to eat. They're tired. It's hot. They're hungry. They're surprised because they don't know what was going on between Jesus and this woman. And they just want to eat. Rabbi, I have something to eat. Let's, let's, let's break bread. Let's eat. And then Jesus, Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. Oh, come on. Another teaching moment? 
Lord, you know where we are? We're in the middle of Samaria. Do you know where we just had to go and buy food? And, and you're talking with a woman? And if you had food, then why didn't you share it with us? <laughs> Did somebody bring him something on the side? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We start the day by saying, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And He was able to rise again because it is finished. On the cross, He said, it is finished. What is the work that Jesus was sent to do? But to bring reconciliation. To bring hope to the hopeless. Yes, there is an ethic. And if you live within this ethic, you will thrive. But I'm here to give you grace. I'm here to invite you to come and see a man who knows everything about me. Yeah, that's a scary proposition. But you can't hide from yourself forever. At some point, you're just tired. Because life can get hard. And it doesn't go the way you want it to go. Relationships fail. Health fails. Governments fail. Stock markets fail. Despair rises. People take their lives because they don't see a way out. And Jesus says there is a way out because the God who created the universe still loves us and longs for us to return and to be in a relationship with Him where He can help us to become the human beings that He created us to be. And He meets us where we are. And if we listen, He will penetrate our hearts and deal with the issues that we most want to deal with. Do you not say, four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvests, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower may and the reaper may be glad together. Thus saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap where you have not sown, where others have worked. Done the hard work and you've reached, you've reaped the benefits. And so it goes to this day. What is the church to be? Yes, a place of 
of sowers. We do a lot of planting. And even a place of reaping. Where you, people come to that point where they have that aha moment and they go, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Even for me? Yes, even for you. But there are a whole bunch of workers in between. People with, with, with gifts of mercy and hospitality. People with gifts of, of generosity and teaching. People with gifts of, of, of leadership. And what does the Lord require of us? But to deal with our own inner life. And to be just people. And then to love everybody else. To love everybody else mercifully as we walk humbly with God. What a great and liberating day it was for me when I recognized that I did not have to worry about God's agenda for you. But it was equally a weighty day when I realized exactly what His agenda was for me. I, I heard uh, an atheist uh, debater one time say that the church had a lot to apologize for. And he was right. He was right. History is littered with examples of the church failing to be brokers of reconciliation. But God isn't finished with us yet. His work is finished. Ours, not so much. But it's a joyful work. And it's a joyful work of invitation. We don't have to convince anybody of what is true or what is false. We just need to invite them to come and see. But let's pray that our lives are welcoming and inviting. That because of our joy, because of our generosity, because of our compassion, because of our love, because of our grace towards others, someone just might be willing to take us up on that invitation. Because if they do, they will, they will encounter Jesus Christ. And given the opportunity, Jesus will convince them. And that, my friends, is good news. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. We ate with him, we drank with him the night before he died. None of us had any clue he'd soon be crucified, for we had all decided what the next few days would bring. This carpenter from Nazareth would be our earthly king. But he's risen from the dead. Yes, he's risen from the dead. 
Jesus Christ was crucified. Now heaven's gates are opened wide. He's risen from the dead. Yes, he's risen from the dead. Our Lord is risen from the dead. We get so many preconceived ideas of who Jesus ought to be and what we think he should do that we fail to introduce Jesus to who he is and why he has come. It is still good news. We can confidently trust and rest in him and invite people to come and see because he is risen. Amen. 